Hey, this is Evan Mark Katz, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women and your personal trainer for love. Welcome back to the Love You podcast, where you're going to learn everything you need to know about men, dating, sex, and relationships from a man's point of view. Before we get started today, I just want to thank you for sticking with my program as it has evolved. Uh, in 2018, we're going to be focusing uh, the podcast energies on booking incredible guests that will educate and inspire you. In upcoming weeks, we've got Dr. Ali Benazir, author of one of my favorite dating books, The Tao of Dating. Eli Finkel, the author of my new favorite science-based relationship book, The All or Nothing Marriage, and Lori Gottlieb, a longtime friend and the author of the best-selling book, Marry Him, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough. Uh, thanks to your help, uh, we rose into the top 20 in the self-help category um, in uh, iTunes, uh, which was which is a, a great accomplishment considering how many people put out some amazing self-help-based podcasts. So thank you for your your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. If you haven't subscribed to the Love You podcast before, you should definitely do that right now so you don't miss anything. Click on the button in the email or the blog post that links to iTunes. This podcast will show up automatically in the feed on your phone. Next, before we get to today's guest, I wanted to let you know that I just launched a brand new coaching page with some cool new offerings on my website. Go to www.evanmarkkatz.com forward slash coaching. Check out Love You Masters Coaching, the Love You Retreat, and Love You Luxury Live Coaching. The first offer is a six-month private coaching program with bi-weekly one-on-one calls. The Love You Retreat is a three-day event with 11 other smart, strong, successful women at the Four Seasons here in LA. Uh, it's sold out for, for March, uh, but uh, since demand was high, we're probably gonna do another one in June. And finally, Love You Luxury Live Coaching is the ultimate relationship coaching experience where you and I spend a full day or two in person, connecting, reflecting, giving you a makeover inside and out, dining out at four-star restaurants and the like. I only take on one luxury live client each month, so check it out and apply now. And without further ado, I am so excited to introduce a guest I've been wanting to have on for a long time. His name is Dr. Robert Glover. Now, I read Dr. Glover's book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, probably 10 years ago at the recommendation of a friend. I was a nice guy, nice guy in quotes, uh, back in high school, who always thought uh, uh, falsely that women liked jerks. But I grew out of that, thankfully, when I went to college. Unfortunately, some guys never get there, and Dr. Robert Glover is their guru. He points out that nice guy syndrome is somewhat of a pathology that prevents men from being their best, most experienced fully expressed selves. In other words, even guys who appear nice on paper aren't always great partners. This is super insightful for an audience of smart, strong, successful women, and I'm really eager to start this conversation. Uh, Dr. Glover's official bio is brief, uh, mercifully. He's the author of the best-selling uh, book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. His website, drglover.com, features numerous online self-help courses, workshops, podcasts, groups, and trained coaches and therapists. Dr. Glover lives in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Dr. Glover, thank you so much for being here. Evan, thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to talk to your listeners. I, I think this is, a, is such an important subject. Um, uh, many, many dating and relationship coaches are women and, and women coaching women. The reason I even have a business is because I'm you know, one of the rare men who specializes in women. I think having a guy who who's carved out this very specific niche. Uh, you said you were a marriage and family therapist uh, and sort of discovered the problems with nice guys, even though you know it sounds like experts like me are always saying, date a nice guy, date a nice guy, date a guy who, who, you know, who treats you well. 
define nice guy for us and let's talk about the downside of nice guys okay sure uh a nice guy as i define him is a guy or or let's say a person and i'm sure during the podcast we'll even apply the nice guy syndrome to to women as well because there's a lot of nice girls out there but in terms of a guy uh, a nice guy is a guy who doesn't believe he's okay just as he is and this belief system usually gets internalized at a very, very early age for, for most guys uh, when they're very young, uh, sometimes even in infancy. And, and what happens is that a, a very young child begins to internalize a belief based on life experiences that I'm not okay just as I am. And in order to be loved, in order to get my needs met, in order to not be abandoned, I either have to hide certain things about myself that I think other people will disapprove of or react negatively to, and or I've got to become certain things uh, that I think then will make people approve of me and love me and want to be with me and help me meet my needs. So nice guys are, are not living from any kind of a sense of an authentic self. They're trying to be something, become something, hide something all the time, seeking approval and validation from others. And so, you know, again, I, it touches me personally because I do think of my high school self who, you know, I, you try to nice your way into a girl's heart and you become the guy. And again, I, it's very personal, sitting on the phone, listening to girls complain about boys who treat mm-hmm. them poorly. And you, you I mean, you, you, you're the person who ends up defining the friend zone. <laughs> you're the safe, nice guy who is willing to put his needs completely aside uh, in hopes that one day she will recognize that she's attracted to him and she's never attracted to him because fill in the blank. Because there's no authentic self in that guy that will create what I call positive emotional tension for the woman. There's just no tension there. And you mentioned the bad boys earlier, and we can get a little bit more into this if you like, but a bad boy creates emotional tension. His unavailability, his um, not treating the woman well, his uh, the excitement that he brings, there's emotional tension. When, when a guy is being nice to a woman, trying to seek her approval and get her love, there's just nothing to, to start her engine, to turn the crank. Um, and as you, you described really, really well, um, what happens with the nice guys is we sit and listen to women talk about the jerks, and we just keep trying to be nicer and nicer, and all the while doing the opposite of what might uh, have some positive effect on the woman. It's, it's an interesting conundrum because, uh, you know, a, a good marriage, and you, you told me that you're, you're, you're married, I'm happily married as well. Um, I, think, I think the definition uh, for women is that they have to feel safe, heard, and understood. And yet the thing that inspires attraction and excitement is not the feeling of safety. Right. Excitement and safety are sort of flip sides of the same coin. And so and you're right. And 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 really what you're also hitting on is often and it is a conundrum. And and I've dealt with this and actually I'm working on another book that addresses it, that in long term relationship is often why the sexual desire in women tend to wane, that even though there may be a sense of, of security and safety built on a long, long-term connection, there's not that positive emotional tension. There, there's not that thing that, that keeps her wound up and, and thinking about her man in, in the way that she did 
early on when, you know, she didn't get to see him every day, you know, didn't know when she would see him next. Um, you know, where was this going? What was it? What was going to happen? What would it be like to hold him to, you know, feel his body to, you know, to smell him? All of that uh, safety and security over time begins to diminish that in, in the average relationship. But isn't that, Dr. Glover, and again, you're the doctor, I'm just a dating coach, isn't that habituation, isn't that, isn't that the inevitable uh, effects of having something for a long time, whether it's buying a house or buying a car or taking a job or getting married, it's hard to be excited about the same thing 10 years, in 10 years that you were for the first six months of it. Isn't, isn't that just life? Well, to, to a degree, I think that's unconscious life. And there's actually a term for it that's called hedonic adaption. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like when you, you hear a new song by your favorite artist and you just can't hear it enough. And then, you know, you reach then a certain point where um, you, you, after a while, it just doesn't even get you excited anymore. Oh, yeah, 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 I've heard it. And actually, they, they, they say that this feature in humans developed to help us actually deal with pain and difficult situations to where after a while, I, I, you and I were talking before we got going, and I've had a stomach ailment for uh, over two months. And um, at times, I don't know if it's actually gotten all that much better or if I've just adapted to dealing with the discomfort and the not knowing of, of what's going on. That's hedonic adaption as well. So yes, that very, that very definitely happens with you know, whether it's cheesecake, whether it's our favorite song, whether, you know, it's anything that, that, that makes us feel good. We, we get enough of it over time, it begins to diminish. Now, you're right, we got a dilemma here, because one of the things that I tell the men that I work with, and I now primarily work with men, even though a bulk of my career was with couples as a marriage therapist, um, I tell men that, and I'll use a profanity here, um, but I'll put it in quotes. Uh, basically, I tell men, you fuck with a woman's trust, you'll fuck with her lust. Meaning, if, if you mess with her sense of, of being able to feel safe with you, you're going to mess with, with her ability to feel aroused by you. Now, the paradox is, early on, that doesn't necessarily have to be there. Women do fall in, or fall in love and get attracted to men that where they have no trust. But over time, it does do damage. Now... Just because, um, and by the way, men mess with women's trust in all kinds of ways that we don't even realize. We say we're going to do something and we forget. We don't follow through. Um, that, that messes with women's trust at, at, at a deeper level than what we men even realize. And then all the little lies we tell, all the little things we hide from, from, from the women in our life, all of that messes with trust and it messes with a woman's sexual desire. Um, but, but there's a deeper piece here. What often happens in relationship as well is that we men, women know, already know this. You know, you, you women can't wear the same outfit to work in the same month. Um, we, we guys will go out and if we find a pair of pants we like, we'll go buy three pair of them and we'll just wear those, <laughs> those exact, exact identical pair of pants and, until we just can't wear them anymore and then go to the store and try to find the same ones again. And we're devastated when they don't have the same pair. So what happens with we men is we kind of, once we find something that works, we go to that well over and over and over again. And this seems to be 
what tends to, to create that, that failing sense of arousal and lust in women over time is men doing what worked last time. And for women, that's just not how you're wired. Doing what worked last time just becomes boring really, really quickly. So what we have here is we do have to have a mix of trust and and a sense of security for a woman to feel connection, especially over time, and feel arousal. But there also has to be a certain sense of uncertainty and anticipation that doesn't kill the trust, but keeps you interested and aroused and thinking in novel ways about the person in your life. Um, well, I uh, I certainly didn't want to interrupt your flow there. That was that was great. That was great stuff, and I I learned something uh, valuable. Um, I do want to redirect towards the nice guy, right? Even though this is great couples uh, counseling, uh, I want to redirect towards the concept of the nice guy sure. because I, I, I do think that there are there are multiple layers to it because it's it's an easy lazy statement to say women should date uh, nice men who treat them well. Right. That's it's true. Um, uh, a woman should not have to put up with a man who, as you've pointed out, is uh, inconsiderate, selfish, with things that women put up with because of attraction. They put up with all sorts of behaviors. So they do need a man who is nice, but it seems to me that we want to avoid nice as his defining characteristic. And in the book, I, I define the kind of men that I'm, I'm trying to help nice guys become is become th their true self they don't have to become something new or different they have to become their authentic self and uh, I, I borrow a quote from an online marketer named Scott Stratton and he says that when you're being your authentic self you have no competition well that's true in online marketing but it's also true in love and relationships so yes just to tell a woman oh be with a nice guy well, what happens then is is that she thinks, well, I should I should like this guy. He listens to me talk about my problems. He'll do anything for me. He volunteered to help my sister move. You know, he's always there for me. But I just don't feel it with him. And and then uh, of course, if, if you if you're going to be with a person, you should feel something as well. That that, yes. that that sense of chemistry is essential for men and women both. And to sacrifice that because he seems like a nice guy, well, the real question to begin asking, is he an authentic guy? Is he an integrated guy? That's the term I use in No More Mr. Nice Guy to, to, to kind of give a framework. And we can use a lot of different terms to describe this man who's being his authentic <laughs> self. Now, a lot of the men I work with that have adapted the nice guy personality of trying to get approval and be nice to get love are often very um, caring, generous, concerned, peaceful men. And, and, but they've adapted, and that's probably why they've adapted the nice guy persona. It, it's not, you know, a big leap to, to them. To, for them to actually become jerks isn't even in their personality makeup. Um, Nor should they have to. I mean, no. I think it's important to state, right? That you, there, there is something in between nice guy and jerk, and that's what we're aiming at. And, and, and let's just, just go with that, because actually it's not in between nice guy and jerk. A lot of people say, well, like a nice guy will tell me, um, well, okay, I get it. That, that being this nice guy, seeking approval, you know, being this passively pleasing guy doesn't work, but I don't want to become the jerk either. I, I don't want to become, you know, the asshole that treats people bad. I want to find that, that happy middle ground. And, and I tell people, I don't know where the tipping point is between two dysfunctional extremes. Yes. And actually, I believe both the nice guy and the jerk are very similar in that they're both trying to manage their anxiety 
and a deep sense of not okayness. And the nice guy does it by trying to, to subtly manipulate people in situations outside. And, and if we kind of use the, the flight, uh, fight, freeze metaphor of anxiety management, the nice guy tends to be in the flight and freeze state quite a bit. And, and so they kind of subtly manipulate. They avoid situations. They won't say what they really think. They won't set a boundary. They won't stand up for themselves. All the while, they're trying to manage their anxiety by manipulating a situation or a person. The jerk, on the other hand, tries to manage their anxiety by being in the fight mode, um, by being aggressive, by being dominant. And so I think both are just trying to manage anxiety. So when we talk about the kind of man that a woman should consciously be looking for, we're talking about a man that's not just somewhere in between those two unhealthy management, anxiety management techniques, but a man that actually has gone above to, to a different plane, so to speak, where he has a consciousness of self and of others, where, where he can soothe his anxiety rather than trying to manage it, where he lives a life based on honesty and integrity, where he can make his own needs a priority, and therefore his bucket is filled to give to others in judicious ways. So it's a totally different animal, so to speak. I, I think that's really well stated, um, and you stated it more eloquently than I have. The term I use for the man you're talking about is a nice guy with balls. Sure. <laughs> that's, that's what I call him. Sure. He's just a, he's, he's this, he treats you just as well as he did before, but he has the guts to speak his mind and stand for what he believes in and pursue his passions, and he's not, he's not a, a pushover who has no boundaries. But he's still fundamentally a nice guy who respects uh, the woman. He's yeah, with. he's a decent guy with a backbone. And, and that, that can be challenging for women. And I have great empathy for women because I've, I've been saying for a while, for a long time when it came to men, women have primarily only had the two choices of, of the nice guy or the jerk. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes women will bounce between the two. They'll get with a jerk for a while because he's exciting, but, you know, he treats them bad, sleeps with their best friend, steals her money, you know, slips back into drug addiction or whatever. And then they go, and then they meet a nice guy who listens and treats them well and will do anything for them. Um, but, but they're just bored to tears by that. And then also they tend to find out that the nice guy is often not nice. He can be passive aggressive. He can have victim pukes to where after he's been so nice to you for so long and he's had his covert contract that I've done this. Now you should love me and want to have sex with me and treat me well. And when you don't live up to his expectations, he has his victim puke where it all blows up or you can't really depend on him. He says he's going to do one thing to, because he's trying to please you and make you happy, but he really doesn't doesn't want to do it or he doesn't follow. I mean, all the stuff that the, your listeners, they're, they're nodding their head going, yeah, I've met both those guys. I've met the guy I, that I couldn't depend on. Be, all I could depend on was I, I could depend on him to treat me bad. And I've met the other guy that I thought they were the breath of fresh air only to find out they just treated me bad in a different way. I, I, I love that little run that you went on. And I, I took, I took a couple notes on your book with the definition of nice guys. And I want you to maybe anecdotally uh, flesh out these bullet points about what's wrong with nice guys. Because bullet point number one, it's your bullet point number one, is nice guys seek the approval of others. 
What's wrong with that? Well, there's no sense of self in there. there there's no internal, you know, compass. No, no, no sense of this is who I am. This is what's important to me. This is what I'm passionate about. Th this is what's right. There, there's no sense of, of self. No, I call it a differentiated self or an integrated self. And um, they're they're blown by the wind, and and you can't depend on them. And you you, you think you can until you realize you can't. It's the politician who really doesn't stand for anything. <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't even know what he believes. He believes whatever the polls tell exactly, him. Exactly. Exactly. And you, you and, or, or it's the boss that tells you he's going to follow through on this thing uh, to make you happy. But then when somebody else wants something different, he goes the opposite direction and completely <laughs> blindsides you. So, yeah, there's no, there, you can't depend on them. Nice guys try to hide their perceived flaws and mistakes. Uh, is is that isn't that pretty common? Yeah. Isn't that uh, don't most people try to do that in some level? No, actually not. Um, one of the things I, I talk quite a bit about in the book, No More Mister Nice Guy, is the, the the concept of toxic shame. And toxic shame is the belief not that I've done something wrong or I've made a mistake, but that I'm bad, I'm defective, I'm I'm fundamentally flawed in some way. And all nice guys have some degree of this internalized toxic shame. And as I said a little bit earlier in, in this interview, th this is due to inaccurate internalization of their life experiences as, as maybe infants, children, before their mind could even reason accurately. And they believe, I'm bad, I'm flawed. So that means I have to hide all evidence that might cause somebody to think I'm bad and flawed because then, of course, they will see you know, how flawed I am, they will quit loving me, they'll treat me badly, they'll abuse me, they'll abandon me, they'll neglect me, whatever. But this is a, a, a distorted, inaccurate belief. If a person is not um, filled with this sense of toxic shame, they can actually let a spotlight be shown <laughs> on their mistakes and they'll go, yeah, I, I messed up. Um, I got that wrong. Um, I owe you an apology or I see where I need to do that differently next time. But there's no shame about it. There's no withdrawing from that. So I, women, yeah, if you get with a guy and he's going to be imperfect, he is going to be flawed. But if every time you try to bring something up or a light is shown on it, he defends himself or, you know, he, he backpedals or he goes on the attack or he shame dumps by trying to turn it on you. Um, run. <laughs> you don't want that. I think, again, I think that's uh, super insightful. And, and, and uh, all I could think as I read this list is we could, we could easily substitute, um, you know, the word guys for, for women seeking the approval of others, trying to hide their perceived flaws and mistake and feeling some sense that, of toxic shame that there's something wrong. The next bullet point is nice guys put other people's needs and wants before their own. Uh, to me, that's, that's a, a very typical of, of the women who turn to me. Mm -hmm. They take care of men and don't have men taking care of them. But I could imagine that nice guys put themselves in the same position. They do. And, and honestly, the nice guys I work with uh, you know, are all unique and they all have developed this belief system from, from many different life experiences. And like I said, part of it's even just their own natural temperament of being kind of a pleasing, easygoing person. But one of the things I've learned, and this is true for me, as, as in my own nice guy development, is I learned to be a nice guy from my nice girl mother. 
my my mother is uh, was a true blue codependent. She's actually worked on a lot of those issues, which I'm grateful for. Um, but growing up, she was a codependent trying to please my father who didn't necessarily treat her well. He was narcissistic and moody and wanted a lot of attention. So I grew up trying not to be like my father and and my my most basic uh, my my number one trainer was my mother. So yes, nice girls have existed long for long before nice guys have and i think uh, uh the great plethora of nice guys now probably has a lot to do with a lot of men not growing up with fathers as boys and a lot of guys growing up with with single moms and and having a a nice girl mom either a nice girl mom as their primary influence or having a, a fairly broken depressed sad lonely mother whom they tried to take care of as as a primary influence so yes nice girls have been have been out there for ages nice guys sacrifice their personal power and often play the role of victim that is the kind of thing that could trigger someone right the the, the perception of victim blaming mm -hmm. but i do think that there is that it's some, it's an idea worth exploring because i think it's true i certainly see it all the time as a coach for women, uh, you know, and there's sometimes there's, they don't take any agency o over their life for the choices that they've made. It's, it's just, here's what men do to me. Yes. It has nothing to do with the fact that they made these choices to date these men or, or conduct themselves in a certain way. So explain that from the perspective of, of women, women looking at nice guys who see themselves as victims what does a male victim look like? okay well that's a good question and what i will say will also equally apply to women um and and i talk about something in the book that i call covert contracts and i think this is is, is helpful to understand so it doesn't take long but let me just go into this nice guys and nice girls have three basic covert contracts. These, these are kind of agreements with other people in the world. And as I said, they're covert, i.e. Uh, we are often unconscious of them ourselves as nice guys when we're making them. And the people around us have no clue they exist. And the three covert contracts of the nice guy syndrome are three if-then propositions. Um, if I'm a good guy, then people will like me and love me, and in with the case of men, and women will want to sleep with me. Number two, if I do everything right, uh, then I'll have a smooth, problem-free world. Um, and uh, number, oh my, my mind just went blank on what number three was, and I mixed number three in with number two. <laughs> I've never done that. I, I made a mistake. Oh no, I've got to hide it. I blame your stomach. Uh, I'll, bl I'll blame the, the two months of stomach ailments on that. Let's, let's go with that. But basically, they're if-then propositions that nobody knows about. And when we think we've done our side, well, I've been a good guy. People should like me and love me. Or I've never done anything wrong. Uh, I should have a smooth, problem-free life. And I just remembered the other one. If I take care of everybody else's needs without them having to ask, then they, shall they should take care of my needs without me having to ask. Now, none of these contracts work. So as you can imagine, if these are your main strategy for getting love and getting your needs met and having a good life, you are going to feel like a victim. And you're frequently going to be passive aggressive, have victim pukes, and do a lot of blaming. And as you've uh, alluded, um, 
you know, I, I work with a lot of single men, you work with a lot of single women, I work with people in a relationship, and, and there's right now just this big heightened energy out there of, of men blaming all women for their woes and their life circumstances, and women blaming all men for their particular woes and life circumstances. And, and the truth is, you know, as you said, a lot of what's going on in life is based on the decisions we've made and then blaming circumstance or other people on us being in the situation we're in rather than treating them as, okay, uh, those are learning experiences. Those, those were mistakes I made based on not being naive or not having experience or uh, based on my own, you know, dysfunctional personality type, you know, I inherited from childhood, but whatever, what do I need to learn from that experience rather than blaming all men, all women, you know, all whatever for whatever that situation is. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and it's one of the things that I've, I've found, you know, as a person who spends a lot of time online, the, it, it's become almost, almost political, right? The polarization of the genders and, uh, you know, women who hate men and the, the men going their own way movement. Um, it, it, it has no subtlety. It has no nuance. It takes very little re personal responsibility. And it just lumps an entire gender together based on some generalizations on a handful of dating experiences. Yeah. I, I, and, and honestly, you know, I, uh, if you just if you break it down, OK, you know, due to my own conditioning as a child and growing up in, in a culture where actually uh, dating and long-term monogamous relationships are not wired into our DNA. So we're all trying to do something fairly unnatural with the expectation we should be able to, right? And we sure. should be able to attract, you know, the perfect partner. And we all kind of, you know, men tend to believe the unicorns are out there because, you know, we've seen them in movies and television shows. And, you know, so they that perfect partner must exist. I'm sure women have, you know, the Prince Charming and kissing the frog and all of that, but they don't. We're trying to do something that doesn't come naturally for humans with other imperfect people that aren't any more skilled at it than we are. And then if we have a few bad experiences with a member with members of the opposite sex, because they were as unskilled as we at trying to, 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 find love, do sex, have relationship, and then to blame everybody in the other gender because three people we had bad experiences with are a member of that gender. I mean, yeah. it's crazy, but, but we seem to all do it. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a limiting belief and it's, it's short-sighted and it doesn't serve any, anybody well. I, I, if anything, as a coach, I try to... Um, change the tone of the conversation. I said, instead of taking everything personally, just think of it like you're putting on a pair of shoes and each guy that you try on is just, a, you know, you don't get angry at the shoe if it doesn't fit. You don't give up on wearing shoes. You don't yell at your feet. It's just another person who doesn't fit. And the person who's going to be a good fit for your life, it's not going to be so hard to fit. And I think that's the thing that, that um, uh, strikes me the most is based on excitement, chemistry, passion, people will do anything to jam their foot in that shoe and keep it on, despite all evidence that it's painful and it's making their foot bleed. Yeah, I, I'm listening to you, and I, I've been in relationship with a few uh, shoe whores in my life. Um, and I, I mean that with all love, because uh, that's actually become one of the things I pay attention to. If a woman loves wearing crazy, you know, 
uh, stylish, uncomfortable shoes. I'm usually attracted to those kind of women. So those are usually my, my most exciting relationships. And, but man, I've watched women just endure, you know, the beating that their feet takes just to wear a stylish pair of shoes that they fell in love with and just had to spend 350 bucks for. And so they've got to wear them. You know? So, um, yeah. And if we, if you're, I love your analogy because then if we do the same thing to relationship, you know, we can try to, I've tried to make some just really bad matches work and I can't blame that person for it. I, I tried hard to make a bad match work and I should have just said, this is not a good match and, and lovingly moved on. Yeah, no, the term I, I, I use, and it, it's, it's, it's runs counter, and I, I'll, maybe you could tell me I'm wrong uh, because you've got more experience than I do, but I really say that good relationships should be fundamentally easy. Everybody talks about, you know, relationships take work. I really do think that good relationships should not require fitting the square peg in the round hole. Sure, there's effort, and sure, there's compromise and negotiation, but fundamentally, two good people who care about each other 90, 95% is easy and the rest you work out. I, I agree actually with you a hundred percent. And, and as you've mentioned, I, I've been a marriage and family therapist for over 30 years. And I, I actually, in, in one of my online classes on relationships, I make the statement that, yeah, I, I, I kind of challenge some myths of, of relationship. One is that, uh, oh, you know, relationships are meant to be hard. Uh, that, that's a myth. And I also, the other myth is that, oh, we only hurt the ones we love. Now, how backass words is that? That we only <laughs> hurt the ones we love. I mean, that's crazy. And, and what, we, what we do, Robert, is take the ones we love for granted. We'll be nicer to a stranger on the street or a colleague at work than we will be to the person we love the most. That is true. That, that's so fundamentally wrong. <laughs> and, it, it's wrong, but it, but it, but it happens, right? right? So it's not whether it, it should be that way. It's obviously... Uh, bass backwards, as you said, why anybody would be more considerate to a stranger than a, a loved one. But this, again, I, I don't know enough about the human brain or evolutionary biology, but we do take the, you know, our, our mom and our dad and our kids and our spouses for, for, for granted, I guess, because we assume they're going to love us unconditionally. So we don't have to be as respectful or polite. Well, I think there's a lot that goes into to that and we can, we can dive into it, but, but the part you were talking about relationship being hard, the statement that I make in, in this online class is that when relationships are hard, it's usually because you have one or more, uh, immature, addicted, or, people with personality disorders in the relationship. If you have two mature people, even if they're not a fantastic match, it's not going to be hard for them to coexist. Now, they may not, you know, fall deeply in love. They may not have passion. They may not have chemistry, but they're not going to be mean to each other if they're two mature people. They'll just recognize the, the uh, inadequacies of, of, of their pair bond. So relationships are hard, usually because you have immature people or addicted people, uh, or, or people with personality disorders. And, and it could be you, it could be the other, it could be both of you. I don't think anybody likes to admit to any of the above. I think that makes it that much harder to pin down or identify. I couldn't think of a person who would classify themselves as immature, nor acknowledge a personality disorder, which makes me ask the question is, we haven't used this word, but it's the word that's coming up in my head. Is insecurity a personality disorder? Does it function as such, even if it's very common? Because to me, everything that's broken up my relationships were some form of insecurity. Uh, and, and 
That's a good question, and I don't know where we would pin it. It it can be toxic, and I, I would say that is true as well. And, and I would say, for example, I'll just be open here, my relationship with, with my wife. We've been married a little bit over a year. We're, we're cross-cultural. She's Mexican. I'm, I'm from the United States. We live in Mexico. Uh, we, our relationship is all in Spanish. And and we have an amazing relationship. She treats me like gold. She's smart. She's funny. Uh, she dropped out of high school at 15 to work and take care of her mother. I had a PhD at 29. She, I'm convinced, has a higher IQ than I am. She's street savvy. Um, we're, we're very different. Um, uh, we have an age difference. Um, a lot of different things, but we, we mesh, we laugh all the time. We're playful considering we, we, our first language is not the same. It's the best communication I've ever had in my life. And, and the one problem that we run into it is her own history of being, uh, abandoned, abused, or cheated on by every, every person in her entire life. Now mm -hmm. that, that projects as an insecurity of, of well, I'm going to leave her. I'm going to, I'm going to cheat on her. And, and luckily, she's also an emotionally savvy enough woman that even when she's in the middle of those projections, um, she she's able to work through them. And I've had to work. I've had to grow as a person. This has been the hard part of our relationship. It triggers my immaturity, where I think, well, if I do everything right and haven't done anything wrong, she should never project, you know, these things on me. That well, I'm, I've done this, or I'm going to do this to her. And and I've had to. It's 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 been one more way that my relationship has forced me to grow. And, and she's grown. She, I started working with a life coach again. She started working with a therapist uh, uh, locally because we both are able to see, okay, she can see where her patterns are causing harm in our relationship. And I can see where my reactions are causing harm. So we're using our relationship as a personal growth machine. And that's what I tell people. For me, about the only reason I know to get into a long-term uh, uh, monogamous, exclusive relationship is because you know it's going to grow you. It's probably not going to give you all the other things you think it's going to. But if you're conscious and, and if you bring love and a, and a willingness to be open, it will grow you. And, and so, yes, insecurity can, can, can be a cancer, and it can be a way, if, if we're willing, to let it grow us as well. And that's what we're both working at doing. Thank you for sharing that. That's, uh, I, I, uh, I, I never expect the experts that I bring on to share personal stuff. I do all the time, but it's my show. So I, I think it's, it's great that people could see that uh, learned, well-read, informed people who help others uh, still struggle and work through their struggles. So, so again, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, can, let's see, I've got so many things to ask. Can we talk about the anger that comes with being nice? Because it's not something we associate with nice is anger, but there is a simmering resentment, as you said, from these made up contracts and these made up rules mm -hmm. that nice people have in their head, right? That it's essentially, it's essentially a whole life of unmet expert expectations, right? I, I think the world should work this way. When it doesn't work the way I have it fantasized in my head, I'm going to start to boil inside and blame everybody. Could you, could you take that to the next level? Yeah. Um, 
I, I wrote No More Mr. Nice Guy during my second marriage. And um, we were together about 14 years. And she was the big stick upside my head that, that wouldn't let me just kind of keep wiggling away or, or trying to, to be nice or use my covert contracts. I had to go work on me. And, and one of the things I had to go work on that in spite of me thinking I was such a nice guy was the way that my anger got expressed. And, and my ex-wife used to tell me, she said, I would rather be with a jerk. At least you know a jerk's going to treat you badly. She said, with you, you know, you treat me well, you treat me well, you treat me well. And then out of the blue, you have these victim pukes where you blow up, you say the most hurtful things, you bring up stuff from in the past. And she goes, I didn't even know these things were bothering you until you, you blow up and, and you're so hurtful. And, and then, of course, the other way that the, the anger comes out that's not quite as obvious is passive aggressiveness. And this is the indirect anger. This is a, the put downs, you know, the, the joke that, oh, I, I was just trying to be funny, but yet it was cutting or it was hurtful. It was the, the forgetting things, the not following through, the, the not remembering things that are important to your partner. So the, the, the nice guy anger can come out in, in, in many different ways, whether it's that more subtle, hard to pin down down passive aggressive behavior or in these victim pukes where you just let stuff build like a pressure cooker and it all all comes boiling out and and this is the reason that i mentioned the covert contracts because one of the things that i try to do um i'm, I'm aware enough of, of some of my own internal patterns that if i notice myself kind of spinning and and perking and boiling inside about a particular thing you know it could be in my relationship it could be you know something somebody posted on my blog that that was attacking or it doesn't really matter if i'm, if I'm spinning about it i know enough about me to know i need to get conscious and i need to interrupt the process because if I spin about that long enough, it will manifest in some way from that, that victim I've been done to place. And for me, one of the most obvious ways, especially in personal relationship, if I catch myself rehearsing conversations in my head, um, mm. I, I know that, uh-oh, this is not going in a good direction. Or if I notice myself kind of pleading my case to some unknown judge or referee about how I've been treated badly, kind of re replaying the events and stories over and over again for nobody else besides my own brain. Um, those are a couple patterns I notice don't turn out well for me. So I, I, when I'm, when I'm conscious, I try to interrupt those. And usually what I just do is I, if I notice me myself rehearsing conversation or kind of pleading my case, I pause I take a few deep breaths, and then one tool that's really been helpful to me is I ask myself, what is this story I'm running in my head? What is this story telling me about me? Not what is it telling me about the other person or how I've been done wrong, but what is it telling me about me? And then that kind of brings me up out of that victim mode, and I have to start taking some accountability for whatever stories are playing around inside my head. And, and this is the most effective way I've known to not fall into that passive aggressive mode or that victim puke mode is I have to keep taking accountability that whatever's spinning in my head is my story. It's not anybody else's. That is really, really hard to do. Um, it uh, does take practice. I, You're right. No, again, I, I think it's very, it's very, it takes personal responsibility. It's conscious. I and mean, there's, you know, you, it's nothing to argue with. It's when you're, when people fight, um, again, at the base level, 
it's sort of the opposite of conscious. It's it, you're not thinking because you're you're yelling at someone that you love who's not acting the way you want, who disappointed you in some way, big or small. We've largely turned off our thinking faculties in that moment, so it's sometimes hard to pull yourself out of that abyss. You're you're right. We're, we're you know, for lack of a better term, we can call that our lizard brain, where we're just yeah. we're in fight, flight, or freeze mode, and it is challenging to have any degree of consciousness with that. And and that's why it really does take practice. For me, it's taken working with other people, uh, coaches and therapists and, and, and men's groups to kind of help me become more aware. Um, and it's taken some very patient women in my life that have also helped point out when I'm in that mode. And it, it's really taken a lot of time to work at it. And as I said, there's there just seems to be a, a key that I've learned to pay attention to certain habitual patterns that, that, that spin and cycle in my head. And the key seems to be is pausing, taking a few slow, deep breaths to kind of, you know, just, just change that, that internal uh, spinning. And then that question, what is this story telling me about me and, and um it's it's powerful and and sometimes I'll, I'll do that and then five minutes later i'll notice that i'm rehearsing conversations all over again and i have to pause and breathe and do it all over again so can you tell in your many years of doing this an anecdote that illustrates how uh a single nice guy got his power back or how a married guy got his power back and um, uh, restored his, his self-respect and became more attractive to women or rekindled a relationship with someone. I mean, uh, how does this work? Because we could identify what's wrong with being nice and putting other people's needs up on a pedestal, um, but we haven't necessarily um, nailed down, well, what does one do? Okay, well, let me actually be just a little bit generic about it rather than a specific event. But um, for example, and, and I'm sure you see this with the women you work with. Um, I work with a lot of, of, of I, I started, I became a dating coach uh, in my late 40s when I got divorced um, uh, in my late 40s and hadn't dated since college and didn't do it very well back then and decided I, I needed to learn to do this different if I wanted a different kind of relationship and had to become a better picker and a better ender in terms of, of picking women and ending ones that, you know, taking the shoes off that didn't fit well. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, I learned to date and I, and I got pretty good at it. And guys started asking me to teach them what I'd learned, which blew me away because I never in my, you know, in any fantasy of all of life thought I'd teach men how to date. Sure. Uh, but, but here's one thing that I learned. I also had resentment at women. Um, I, I had resentment at, at the stories I had about women is that they didn't have to be accountable in life. They could use their physical beauty to get whatever they wanted and never had to, to really do anything to be given a sense of worth and value that a woman could walk into any bar and leave with a man if she wanted. No man could walk into any bar and leave with whatever. You know, I just had this great sense of, of injustice. Um, and, and, what I noticed is as long as I was walking around with this story, that this, this rage at women, this injustice of it all, I'm, you know, I've worked hard, you know, I have to work hard to, to get what I get to, you know, and, and women don't have to, and they can, you know, get away with anything and there's no consequences. And, and I, and there's a lot of men that, that run those stories and I'm sure women have their own generalization victim stories they project onto men as well. But here's the thing is it, 
whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's any other guy, is walking around with this energy and trying to meet women, trying to connect with women, trying to date, trying to get into a relationship, trying, trying to have sex, trying to you know find the woman of their dreams, but they're running this story. Women are intuitive enough to feel that energy. They, they, mm-hmm. they will get it, and sometimes women don't know that they that what they're picking up on but they pick up on something and it just is a vibe it's an um incongruence so for example the nice guy might be treating them nice and doing nice things but his inner story is you know women are all gold diggers they only do this to get what they want you know it's not fair and they're running that victim mentality and that energy gets projected it gets manifested and it repels women which then magnifies the story that the you know i've done everything nice i treated her well and then you know she went after that jerk yeah man women are all this women are all that and the story takes on more energy you gotta interrupt that story and i find that when men can interrupt the story and i'm sure you've seen that with women when they interrupt that story they keep rehearsing in their head about the whole entire other gender then they're able to begin to see individual people for who they are. They can begin to ask questions like, what is this person's nature? Who are they? How are they? How do they treat other people? How do they treat me? How do they fit into what I would like in my life in terms of a partner? And you start to just you know, evaluate people individually with no agenda, no expectations, no trying to turn them into something, no projecting, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're beautiful. So therefore I got to have them as my girlfriend. Um, and then being all resentful that, you know, they can get whatever they want because they're beautiful. We got to interrupt that, that inner dialogue to, to change this whole thing. And yes, I've, I, I know I've worked at that. I've worked with countless men that have worked at changing those storylines inside. And once they did, they were able to meet amazing women that were flawed, but they were able to communicate and they were able to work together and, and have really empowering growth producing relationships because they dropped the story they were projecting about the other gender. Um, that's, uh, and that's powerful and it's 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 accurate i i, I think our, our you know our, the 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 lenses that we have on right uh, impact our whole view of the world we you know we, we we see the world not necessarily as it is but as we see it mm-hmm. so if you are a man or a woman who is you know is nice and again i've got all these bullet points on my screen uh thinking about how this applies to women there's the woman who lets the man be the boss the woman who's who does everything for anybody but her own life is in shambles the woman who's so afraid of conflict that nothing ever gets resolved the woman who lets people walk over her so as not to rock the boat the woman who never says no even though she's building up resentment uh again we could substitute man or woman and it's it's the same exact thing uh not living authentically not getting your needs met not speaking your mind so you, as, as a nice person, you often expect people to be mind readers. That's that, that's that contract you talked about. You've never even voiced your dissatisfaction and you're surprised that nobody's catering their behavior to you when you, it's, you know, it's like uh, not complaining that the, you know, wanting someone to open the window, but never saying it's too hot in here. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, when it's even funny, you mentioned the mind reader thing, um, a day or so back when, when, you know, I, I was kind of looking over my upcoming schedule and saw that, you know, you were on my schedule and that you primarily work with women. One of the things I thought, okay, one of the things that I need to say to women is don't expect men to be mind readers. Um, you, you, you have to be much more clear because one thing I know 
well, at least my experience with women, I've been with women that actually take pride in their ability to read minds. I know what she's thinking. I know why she did that. And, and I'm sitting there going, how the hell do you know why she did what she did? And, and I've known a lot of women that really take pride in that. And if you, and if you kind of watch women have conversations with each other, they will anticipate each other's dialogue as they talk with each other. And they're nodding and making eye contact and agreeing and kind of re repeating the word as the other person says it. Uh, we men don't do that. <laughs> We, we don't read minds. We think if you say something or you ask for something or you imply something, we take that at complete face value. Yes. Um, and, and, and so when, and when you, so when you women do get upset at us guys, because we don't read mind like you do, or like your girlfriends do, please understand we're different in that way. So yeah. um, tell, tell us what, tell us what to do. We'll, we'll listen to you at least 60% of the time, but yeah. Please tell us what to do instead of making us guilty of a crime we don't know we're committing. Yeah, yeah. You should know. You should. You should understand why I'm upset at you. No, don't expect us to read minds. So, um, so please, please, so, please, don't. So let's let's bring this. Let's you know bring this to to a, a close. And uh, because our audience is primarily women, um, and women should seek out partners who are who treat them well. Uh, we've talked about the many flaws of nice guys. Um, you've already acknowledged women shouldn't date guys when there's no attraction. Um, but is there any wiggle room anywhere? Is there a way that a woman who's dating a nice guy can help him take ownership of his life, uh, be more assertive, make better decisions? Is there anything, any role a woman has or she should be like, okay, nice guy, doesn't have balls, gotta, gotta go. Is, is, is there any wiggle room on this? Um, yes, there is. Uh, and, and let me just tell you a quick antidote. When um, th this seems unrelated, but I think we can connect it. When when I was shopping, no more Mr. Nice Guy to publishers. A lot of major publishing companies, editors said, "We really like your book," but our marketing department says men will not buy a self-help book, yeah. and especially will not buy a self-help book that tells them that they're a loser. And I kept saying, "You don't understand the kind of men I'm working with." I understood the nice guys that that even as they were in this nice guy paradigm, their core desire is to be a good guy, to be a decent human being. And and um, no more, Mister Nice Guy came out 15 years ago, and my royalty checks keep getting bigger every year. Um, sales keep going up. So guys do read books and they do want to be good men. So to, to answer that question, I, I, I get a lot of women will ask me, they'll say, I'm dating this guy. He's great in many ways, but I see the, you know, the nice guy patterns. What should I do? I, you know, I, I don't want to hurt him or offend him. And my simple answer is give him a copy of my book and, and just say, Hey, you're a great guy. I see some patterns. I think you might relate to this book. Um, check it out. And you would not believe, I mean, men come, men find my book in a lot of different ways. Maybe, maybe they Google nice guy. Maybe they go to a 12 step group. Maybe their best friend gives it to them. But a large percentage of men who find my book find it because a woman in their life and many times an ex finds the book and gives it to them. And, yeah. and they read it. So my, my advice is to women, if you're in a relationship with a nice guy, if you've started dating one, if he seems like a decent human, but, but just seems overly willing to please you or doesn't have boundaries or, you know, will we'll say whatever to, you know, to please you, um, 
give him a copy of the book. Um, and you may find out that he's this uh, amazingly genuine human being, just was operating by a flawed paradigm that he didn't know existed and didn't know there was an alternative. And uh, I've, I've worked with countless nice guys. Um, my book sold over a quarter of a million copies. So there's a lot of men out there who've responded well to the message there and all they needed was direction in fact i get emails every day from guys that say you described my life perfectly how did you know me i wish i'd found this book 20 years ago so yes women if you're you're with a guy who's a decent human being just you know working from a flawed paradigm lovingly give him a copy of the book <laughs> you, you know the book that women really want you to write it's yeah, the man. one that it's the one that that turns the bad boy into a nicer guy. <laughs> but unfortunately, I don't think anybody has the capability of doing that. But that is the one is not making the nice guy yeah. have balls. It's taming the bad boy. And uh, I, I usually say just let those guys go. Yeah, I, I, I would actually say the exact same thing. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, Warren Beatty maybe finally got tamed by by the right woman, but the the odds of you taming a guy that's been trying to not get tamed his entire life, good luck. But but there there is something about that in women. I'm making a generalization that oh, they will be the woman that finally settles the guy down, uh, that that finally gets him to admit, you know, his vulnerability and and how much he truly loves, you know, this woman. Um, uh, but no, uh, you can spend a lifetime trying to do it and have a lifetime of, of heartbreak and hurt and probably an empty uh, pocketbook to show for it. Well, um, I, I thank you so much for uh, uh, giving me the time. I know we had to reschedule due to circumstances and holidays and illness. Thank you for uh, your, your, your great book and your wisdom and your knowledge and sharing it with our primarily female audience. I, I think this is different than the kind of stuff I usually put out and, and which makes it all the more valuable. So is there uh, any, anything you'd like our, our listeners to do uh, when, when they're done? Should, should they follow up with you in any way? Well, tell them to just check out drglover.com. Uh, easy enough. It's drglover.com. Or if they Google Robert Glover or Google No More Mr. Nice Guy, I come up at the top of both those pages. If they're interested either, because a lot of women do read the book and tell me they get a lot out of it, uh, just as, as nice girls. It helps them understand men they've been with in the past. And for many women, it helps them understand a man that they love uh, that they're with now. Um, I have a blog, I have podcasts, I have online classes, some that are just open to men, but some that are open to women and men as well. So just check out drglover.com and see if there's anything there that, that seems valuable. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Glover. Um, and uh, thank you to all, everybody who's listening uh, and joining me here on the Love You podcast. My name is Evan Mark Katz. Next week, I'm interviewing my friend, Dr. Ali Benazir, author of the incredible book, The Tao of Dating. That is a conversation you definitely do not want to miss. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes in the link below. And if you're already a subscriber and want to take bold action in making this year the last year you're ever single, please go to www.evanmarkcats.com forward slash coaching and apply for my three new coaching packages. I'll see you again next week on the Love You Podcast. Mm -hmm.